What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine podcast. This is episode 28, I think. I'm your host, Riley. This week, our guy, our guy fucking did it. Max Homa, after a stretch of phenomenal golf, went to a place where he finished tied for fifth the year before, a course that he grew up going to, where he fell in love with the game of golf pretty much, seeing the pros play at Riviera. Max Homa gets the job done, gets his second career PGA Tour victory on top of the Wells Fargo back in 2019. And I think now, after this stretch, after another win, especially at a venue like Riviera, I think Max can no longer be just an underrated player on the PGA Tour. Like, he's here. He has phenomenal game. We're going to talk about him more later in the show. But Max Homa, I think, is here to stay, which is super sick. I've been a big fan of his for a couple of years now. Just plays a really good game of golf. His swing is beautiful. His iron play is great. He gets off the tee well. And when he gets comfortable on the greens, he rolls in a lot of putts. And that's what happened at the Genesis. He looked very good with the putter, aside from the three-footer he missed on the 72nd. But Max looked phenomenal. So happy for him. He was the only bet we won all weekend. We had a, our first losing week and I think like almost two months. So, so excited to watch Max. That was, and I said it a couple weeks ago, I forget for what tournament. Oh, when uh, Jordan went low on Saturday. Watching that Sunday round at Riviera, and we're going to talk about the golf course later in the show, that was a phenomenal round of golf. One of the best rounds of golf I've watched on TV in probably the last couple of years. Riviera produced again. The field at the top of the leaderboard was sick. We're going to get into it, but Max gets the W, so we're going to recap everything about the Genesis because it was, a again, a phenomenal golf tournament. We'll talk about everything going on there. Then we're going to do a little preview of this week's WGC Workday Charity Open Championship blah, blah, blah at Concession. WGC Mexico is what this week usually is. They moved it for multiple reasons. Um, they blamed it on COVID, but it had other reasons also. But So we're in Florida again this week to start, I guess, quote-unquote, the Florida swing one week early. So we're going to preview concession. Again, it's not a golf course usually on the PGA Tour. It's never been featured on the PGA Tour, so betting is going to be a little bit tricky. But we're going to preview that and then end the show with our in-depth betting analysis, all the key stats that you guys need for the week, data golf information, all that sort of stuff at the end of the show. But before we get into that, let's just cover headlines. And I really only had one. Uh, one actually came up about a couple hours ago, recording on Monday, that amateurs are now allowed endorsements, I guess. I don't know how that's going to affect anything. I guess college players are now going to be able to sport endorsements, which is like kind of sick, right? You can start making money earlier in your career. So that's pretty awesome, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't have a huge impact on anything, but that came out. The USGA and the RNA ruled that earlier today. Uh, the other headline, Tiger Woods. Got to talk about Tiger. My dude looked absolutely zooted when he went on television on Sunday. He made an appearance at the Genesis. His foundation puts on the Genesis Invitational, so he had to be on the – not had to, but he was on the grounds watching the winner. I think he was actually there on Saturday. But he joined Jim Nance in the booth for an interview. And, of course, Jim Nance, like the professional he is, started the interview with a bunch of you know compliments and questions for Tiger about his foundation and putting on the Genesis and all that sort of stuff. But then it moved into every all the information that everybody wants, right? How's his back feeling? Are you going to play at Augusta National? 
what's the timeline here? And when asked about, are you going to play at Augusta National for the Masters? He said, God, I hope so. He said he felt a bit stiff in his back. He's still waiting to hear if it's like scabbed over, I think. I didn't really understand much what he was saying, but something needs to scab over or heal up first, and then he's able to swing a golf club. I'm not really sure what's going on in there with his back. But I did kind of take something away from the interview with Jim is it sounded and looked like a guy that wasn't entirely sure when he was going to get back on the golf course. And that sucks because Tiger golf is so much better when Tiger Woods is involved. And that's kind of a no brainer. Anybody who follows golf and covers golf and watches golf every single week. There's a buzz when Tiger Woods is on the golf course, especially in contention come Saturday, come Sunday. It's just a different feeling. And it's a bummer. He didn't. He didn't look great. I mean, I guess he didn't look bad either. He was definitely zooted on some pain medication, but I would be too if I was coming off my fifth back operation. It's a bummer. It just seemed like a guy that didn't know when he's going to come back. Obviously, we're rooting for him to be there at Augusta National. If he is, who knows what kind of form he's going to bring into because we're already less than 50 days away from the goddamn tournament. So, I mean, what? He can practice. Let's say he can start practicing next week, but it's not full swing. So now we're down to like a month where he can get his game in tune for the Masters. If that, right, we're talking about a couple weeks. I know he knows that place like at the back of his hand and would just need to kind of get his swing dialed in a little bit. Who knows what's going to happen with Tiger. Obviously, we're rooting for him to be there in April for the Masters, but I'm not entirely convinced he's going to be there after the interview he gave with Jim. He didn't seem like he was sure about anything. So we're just going to have to wait and see with Tiger. We haven't seen him since I think the PNC championship with Charlie. And then we haven't heard from him since the back surgery. This is the first time we heard from him since then. So I don't know. We're all rooting for you, Tiger. Go get healthy. But it'll be, it's a big question mark whether Tiger Woods is going to be at Augusta. And that is a bummer, especially with the way he played in November. He was like in the top 10, I think, after the first round, like he was right there. He kind of he, you know, fell down the leaderboard a little bit come the last couple of days, especially after making a 10 on the uh, par 3 12th. So that's just tough. But we'll have to wait and see if Tiger's going to be there. But that's the only headline, guys. So let's jump right into the Genesis. And again, our fucking guy, Max Homa, beats Tony Finau on the second playoff hole to win his second PGA Tour title. Like I said in the intro, Uh, His first win since 2019 at the Wells Fargo. Again, another golf course that sports usually a massive and loaded field. So Max wins big golf tournaments and he has the game to do so. And the one thing I noticed is all day, and I live bet him to win plus 800 before the round started. After, After the third round concluded Sunday morning, I put a live bet on Max to win just because, and I bet on him, whatever. But He seemed like the guy that was going to get it done. If anybody was going to catch Burns on Sunday afternoon, it seemed like it was always going to be Max. He was comfortable on the greens. Poa, he loves Poa greens. He looked good. The putting stroke was phenomenal. looked very in sync. And then off the tee, it looked like he could do no wrong. He was stepping up to the tee box, grabbing driver, aiming down the left, playing a cut right in the dead nuts middle of every single fairway, it seemed like. And every time he put an iron in his hand, he was he put on a ball striking fiesta at uh, at the Genesis on Sunday. It was incredible, and he had the swagger like he knew he was supposed to be there. Is the thing he knew he was supposed to be in this winning spot, 
And he deserved every second of it. And it was unbelievable. The up and down on 17 out of the bunker was obviously gigantic, right? You hit it in the greenside bunker to the right on the par five. You need to get up and down to tie the lead. You need that because 18 is not an easy hole. Like it's tough. It's a, you obviously need to cut, which he has off the tee. And then the green is angled strange and it's not an easy putt no matter where you get around that golf hole. So you need to birdie 17. He gets a great up and down on 17 to tie the lead and his bunker play all week was phenomenal. He had that one bunker shot out of the front bunker on 10 on Saturday. That was probably one of the best bunker shots I've ever witnessed in my life. It was like in the middle of the front bunker, way like way in front of the flag. It was a long bunker shot, limited green to work with. And he sauced this motherfucker short of the flag. I don't know how that's possible. All the commentators on TV, no chance he gets this up and down. He's looking par at best. One of the best bunker shots I've ever seen. His short game was just there this week. Bunker play was phenomenal. Then he steps up to the 18th tee, hits a little low screaming cut right down the middle of the fairway. And then I think in the interview after, he said he had 131 in, but then his caddy suggested gap wedge, I think, because he was all jacked up. And and then he puts this thing to three feet. And at that point, I was kind of counting as a win. I'm like, there's with the putting stroke the way it has been all day and pretty much all tournament long, there's no way he's going to miss that. Can't believe Max is about to win this tournament. And then doesn't play enough break. It moves half a cup left. And he, I think he, I don't know, he lined it up maybe right edge and it lips out, which was a huge bummer. So he gets in a playoff with Tony and then really burns, who I get, I'm going to mention for a second later. Could have been in that playoff too if he birdies 18, but he doesn't. Doesn't. So the playoff starts, goes to 10, which I think, I don't know who made that rule where you start the playoff on 10 at the Genesis, but that is perfect. Brings in the drivable par four. You can play it two different ways. You can play it in uh, tens of different ways. Right, you can do anything you want on that hole. So it's a perfect place. Tony rips one right to the front of the green. Uh, doesn't get to the green, but gets in a great chipping position. Max hits, goes for a cut. He kind of did not a double cross because he doesn't hook it, but it just goes pretty much straight on him, and then gets absolutely fucked next to a tree. It lands right in front of a tree. He has no angle to go directly at the hole. The best that he has is like a sideways hit towards the front of the green, maybe if he hits a good one. And then he plays one of the best short game shots I've seen so far on tour this season. He hoods a little, I think it was like a, one of his wedges. I don't know what degree, which one it was. He hoods it, normal backstroke, comes in, closes the club face. It goes left, finds the front of the green. It was one of the coolest shots ever. I didn't think there was any shot he was going to make par there. Uh, I knew there was going to no shot. He was going to make birdie there. That's what I thought. At least I'm like, best case scenario. We're looking at par here and just hope Tony doesn't get in down up and down for birdie. And then he finds the front of the green with a very makeable birdie putt. Tony pitches it past the hole, which was one of his first mistakes. You can't be on that with that hole location. You can't be above the hole. It's a tricky putt. Max, I forget 15, 20 feet up the hill for birdie. Doesn't make it. Then he's just kind of helpless watching Tony right? And then Tony misses the putt low, left to right or low. We go to the 14th, which is a par three. I don't, I can't remember. I think they both hit seven iron into it, tucked pin back left and Tony, and they both pretty much play a cut. 
Max can turn it over definitely more than Tony can, can play a draw. But Tony goes first, goes for the draw, kind of aims at the center of the green, overdraws it, greenside bunker left. And it looked like a pretty up like a pretty simple up and down once you hit it in there you think he's going to make par max steps up aims center of the green wants you can hear it on a hot mic wants like a one one yard draw he ends up overdrawing it a little bit ends up pin high left of the flag which you don't want to i mean you can go there but it's a definitely more of a risky shot goes there he ends up missing the putt taps in for par tony puts it to I don't know, 10-ish feet, 9 feet. He was actually inside Max. So he got the line from Max's putt after he got out of the bunker, and Tony misses it. Max wins. It was so sick. It was, oh, it was one of the better endings of a tournament ever. I was having a heart attack because it just sucked. I had money on the line, obviously, bet on Max. One big, which was nice. But once he missed that short putt, it was full panic time because obviously you never know what's going to happen in a playoff. And then he gets fucked on the tree. And then now it's like, well, here we go. This is a loss now. And then just bounces back. Never, never panicked. He walked, he was on TV the entire time as he approached the ball on 10 in the playoff. Never panicked. He's like, all right, the ball is here. What can we do from this spot? And he kind of had an idea right when it happened. He knew what he was going to do, knew how to attack it. He's just been playing phenomenal golf since missing the cut at the masters in November. His finishes in order are a T12, T21, T18, T14, T7, and then a win. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Starting the week, I think he was like the 90th ranked. Sorry if you can hear the sirens, fire trucks. Um, at the start of the week, I think he was 90th in the world. He's up to he's the 38th ranked golfer in the world now. For the season, he ranks 109 in strokes gained putting, but over the last two weeks, both events at Poa Greens, as I've mentioned on the show multiple times, he was ninth in strokes gained putting at Pebble, and this week at the Genesis, he was seventh. So he finally, I think, has that flat stick. He's got that flat stick rolling. And yes, he's on Poa Greens where he's comfortable, but I also think the putting stroke, he's just more confident with it now, right? A couple back-to-back weeks where your putter is a weapon for you. He made a lot of putts at the Genesis, which is huge. I think he's just going to get a lot more comfortable on the greens as the season goes on. Uh, strokes gained. He was second off the tee, which is I, again, every time he stepped on a tee box, you knew that it was just going to be perfect. That was the feeling that he was giving all week long is just a little baby cut. Jet, the Riviera country club is built for a right-handed golfer to play a little bit of a cut. It's money. Max and Tony Finau, right? Both at the top of the leaderboard. Um, Sam Burns plays a little bit of a cut. DJ plays a little bit of a cut. Those are all Sam, uh, Cameron Smith play. It can turn it both ways, but all the guys at the top of the leaderboard pretty much play a cut. Didn't make a bogey after the 12th hole on Saturday played flawless golf. His last, what is that? 18, 20, 26 holes, his last 26 holes, including the playoff. He didn't make a bogey. He's the third PGA Tour winner in the last 30 years to win at Riviera without making a bogey in the final round. So he just played flawless golf over the weekend, especially on Sunday where he needed to come out and they had to finish the third round. Um, if you guys didn't catch the tournament on Sunday morning because of lack of daylight the day before, they had to delay it because of wind. It was ridiculous. Keegan Bradley had a golf ball just go 40 feet to the left because of wind. It was crazy. But they finished on Sunday morning. The very first shot he had on Sunday morning was like a six-footer for par. And he just didn't make a bogey, played flawless golf. Our fucking guy, man, gets the W. 
it was a fantastic tournament. So congratulations, Max. Proud of you over here. Twilight Nine. So sick. It was so sick to watch him win one. But the loser of the playoff, Tony Finau, this is his eighth runner-up finish since his last win in 2016. But that may seem bad. You know, need a couple wins, blah, blah, blah. He's also won $19 million. So it's not all bad for Tony. He's winning a fuck ton of money. You just got to get the W. I think it's his 37th top 10 since his last win. And like 20th top five. I don't have that number in front of me, but an insane amount of top fives. It's just crazy. The, the, the golf that this guy continue, he just plays high level golf week in and week out and can't get it done. And this week he's coming from behind, which that's the way that I think he's going to get his next win is kind of chasing instead of holding on to lead. He shot a final round 64 and he didn't win. Like, what is this guy supposed to do? So I don't know what's going to, Tony needs to win ASAP. And he's got a couple tournaments that kind of fit his game coming up here soon. So maybe it's soon, but he just can't, he can't catch a break for the week. He was fourth in strokes gained approach ninth off the tee and 18, 18th, excuse me, putting. And I highlight the putting improvement pretty much because he switched up his grip again. So for the last, I don't know, year plus he's been using some sort of like claw pencil grip with his ugly ass putter and that fat ass grip. And then this week at the Genesis, and I don't know if he was doing this on the European tour. I didn't catch any of the Euro tour events just because they happened so early in the morning. He could have been doing this already, but he went back to the putting style and the putting grip that he had a couple years ago where it's very conventional and just like a finger down the grip, kind of like a Brooks Kepka or like an Ian Poulter, right? Kind of back to that. And he putted very well. So who I am judging by what happened this week, I'm sure that he's just going to stick with that style. But who knows? But Tony, another great week for him. I mentioned Burnsy earlier. The kid was striping it all week and was pretty much doing everything that he needed to early on Sunday afternoon to kind of get it done. It felt like that he was going to win. And then he made the turn, shot a bogey-free 31 on the front Sunday afternoon, and then on the first six holes of the back, he bogeyed three times. So that kind of pushed him out of the lead, brought everybody back in it. He did birdie 17 to get him in a spot where if he did birdie 18, he would have got into the playoff, but he didn't do that. Comes in third. He has he had three top 40 finishes in a row leading up to this week, including a top 20, but it was going in the wrong direction. Like he had like a T17 or something like that. And then like he was just going in the wrong direction. So he wasn't trending well, but he was kind of just like hanging in. He was making cuts and playing good golf. He can bomb it. He can really hit it out there. And uh, Riviera is a course where you can definitely do that. It's got to be somewhat accurate, but he's striking the ball really well. He's such a powerful player, man. He swings so fucking hard, which is he swings out of his shoes, which is like fun to watch. He just couldn't get it done. And he's like a young kid. Like he's going to be up there. He's got the skill set to be at the top of the leaderboard a lot. So we'll see if coming up here with the Florida swing, if he makes any appearances and see if he can get it done. But he had a really good tournament. This is definitely a stepping stone, right? He played with DJ on Sunday and outperformed DJ, which is huge. He shot a 72. He just was step with step with DJ on the front nine also. Like when DJ was making a little bit of a run before he made a bunch of bogeys, Sam was like making birdies on the same hole. Like he wouldn't let DJ get close to him. And then obviously the back nine didn't go as planned, but he played a really good round of golf. So you got to tip your cap to him. I mentioned Dustin Johnson. He was a popular pick heading into the final round, like a live bet in between the two rounds. He was definitely the guy that everybody was looking at to get it done. Of course, the world number one tag on him and all that kind of stuff in his history at the Genesis definitely plays into that. But he ended up shooting a final round plus 172. This was his first 
over par final rounds since the Genesis last season. So he has been an absolute machine when it comes to final round scoring. Again, this week, he is the favorite heading to Florida for the WGC, but that is no surprise. And to finish this recap with our guy, Roy fucking McElroy, he played like garbage. There's just no other way to like describe the way that he played golf. It was really, really bad. And it never looked like he was going to make the cut. Like the whole time he's on feature groups, they actually took him off featured groups on Friday just because him and Bryson were playing like dog shit and Cameron Champ dropped out. So they put in, I think, uh, I don't even remember the dude's name. I watched him all day on Thursday, but he just never could get anything going. The iron play was bad. He couldn't putt and he had going into the week, the longest active cut made streak on anybody on tour. I think it was 26 or 27, but he's done this before where he's bounced back in a good spot. And we're going to talk about this when we do the betting uh, portion at the end of the show, but he has back bounced back. Well, his last miscut before this was at the open port rushes like hometown or whatever he shot like a bazillion in the first round and actually came back and almost made the cut but that was his last miscut a week be- a couple weeks before that he missed the cut at the memorial and then came back the very next week at the rgc canadian open and won that by seven shots seven and there's another example I'll bring up that he did pretty much the same thing. He shot a 60 round, 61 in the final round, flirted with 59, could have made a couple more putts. So he has bounced back in one of these spots before. So we'll see. I, he was already back at the range, which I'll talk about with Luke Donald, but we'll see if he's going to be able to bounce back. But yeah, Rory just did not have anything this week. So that was a bummer to see. And then JT also missed the cut. He forgot how to play golf on Thursday. One of the worst rounds I think I've ever seen Justin Thomas play. And he's another guy, which his iron plays way too good. To, and his putters, and his putters pretty damn good. Also that I don't see him having another bad week at concession this week, but yeah, just two huge losses right off the betting side, right? We had both of them for a top 10 and they both missed the cut. Uh, we had Carlos Ortiz now getting into the, our rough week for T9 Carlos Ortiz. I had a top 30. He also missed the cut. Couldn't get anything going. Max Homa hit, obviously, with the win. And then three of our guys did make the cut. So we were still in the clear if they both, if they all hit to be in the green, which was definitely a good step. Colin Morikawa ended up making the cut on the number. So that was a huge relief. He hit, like, chipped in on, I think, like, 16 and then made a late birdie and then parred 18 to get make the cut. So that was huge for us. But then he ended up kind of dancing around the top 20 for a little bit on Saturday and Sunday and then just had a bad back nine on Sunday and kind of pushed him out of it. So that was bummer. And then Neiman, holy shit, we got to talk about Joaquin Neiman. Going into the third round on Saturday, he was tied for second at seven under, I think, and then just shot a 78 all the way back down to even par for the tournament after he finishes round Sunday morning. And then in the fourth round, he opened with Eagle on one. So now I'm thinking, oh, he's inside the top 20 now. All he's got to do is kind of hang around there. He can even shoot even the rest of the day. And we're going to at least hit that one. And then he just fucking sucked the rest of the day, shot a plus one final round, finished like almost outside the top 50 after going into Saturday tied for second. So that sucked. So the only bet we hit is Homa, but we're looking to bounce back obviously this week at the WGC. And let's get into it. Let's bounce back this week. Let's put LA behind us and let's win another week. Because honestly, it's been a while since we lost. So this is kind of a weird feeling. Usually we're coming on here talking about all these units we won. Bad week for T9, but let's just bounce back. I already said this week, it's usually the WGC in Mexico. I love that tournament. I love 
the WGC Mexico when it was down there. Uh, Chapultepec, I think is how you pronounce it. The golf course is fantastic. Every club goes like 15% further. So there's drives like two, 390, 400 yards, like on a regular basis. Very entertaining tournament. The fans in that area are amazing. It's usually one of the better non-majors of the season. It's fan, And the guys love it too. And it produces a really good leaderboard. Phil was up there a couple years ago. JT, Roy McIlroy, Dustin Johnson won that thing by like five shots. Patrick Reeds has won it. I mean, it's a WGC, so the field is already good, but Mexico was so sick. But because of multiple reasons, they moved it to Florida, and now the boys will be teeing it up at concession. It's an unknown venue. It's never been on the PGA Tour, like I mentioned before, up until now. So betting it is going to be a little tricky, right? Because you can't go with course history or key stats or anything like course fit tools. Data Golf, I'll go over in a second, doesn't have a course fit for this place because it's never been featured on the PGA Tour. So it's going to be a little bit tricky. But again, because of the WGC title, the field is stacked. 48 of the top 50 players in the world are here, and the two that are missing it is, is Tiger Woods, obviously, due to back surgery, and then Paul Casey is also hurt, which I didn't I didn't remember, but Paul Casey's out this week. But DJ's back, and he's entering the week, like I said earlier, as the favorite, as he should be. Disappointing final round of Riviera, but he still finished inside the top 10, looking to bounce back. John Rahm, unlike DJ, played a great final round at the Genesis, 566. He'll be looking to carry that form into this week, and he's had a bunch of high finishes in a row. He's lo- he'll be looking to capitalize, and I think this golf course is actually a great spot for him to do so because of course comparisons that I'm going to go over here in a second. Roy McIlroy and Justin Thomas are both back after failing to miss the cut, make the cut rather last week in LA. And they both have shown history of bouncing back and having a great performance after a missed cut. So we're going to see if that happens again this week. Other big names in the field include Xander Shoffley, Terrell Hatton, Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantlay, Webb Simpson, Brooks Kepka, Tony Finau. Like I said, 48 of the top 50 players in the world are here. It is going to be a sick weekend. We are getting spoiled with golf so far this season. And we like that. We love that. Let's go over the course. Let's do some course notes here. A little bit more in-depth than normal just because... I'm guessing some of you have never heard of Concession. So Concession Golf Club, par 72, 7,470 yards. Jack Nicklaus designed with a collaboration with Tony Larkin, opened in 2006. And when they designed it, their main goal was to make it a venue where the PGA and USGA could put a major at some point. And that just hasn't been the case. It's a very difficult golf course, but it hasn't been attractive to the PGA and USGA to even put a normal tournament there no less a major, right? So that was their that was their goal when they designed this golf course. Bermuda greens, but I'll have a note on the greens in a second. From the back boxes where these boys will be playing this week, it is one of the hardest golf courses in the United States. I think the rating is like six over par. So a scratch golfer, if he shot 70, what is that? If he shot 78, that would be equivalent to like even par. So it is a very, very difficult golf course. The fairways are a bit generous. Uh, The rough is borderline non-existent. And there is some water on the property, but it's probably not going to be in play. A lot of it is not going to be in play for the PGA Tour guys. Um, The penalty is definitely like the wooded areas are thick. Like that's a one-shot penalty. You probably can't get your ball forward when it goes into the woods. It's going to probably be a pitch out. So that's what defending this golf course and the greens. They're very, very undulating. At some points, they're kind of like ridiculously undulating. So lag putting is going to be gigantic and pinpoint accuracy is going to be huge. There's a lot of course comparisons, a lot of, I'm going to bring up a article that I was reading earlier today, but when Jack 
when Jack designed this golf course, he modeled a lot of the holes after different holes like across America. Like there's a hole in this golf course very much like the, I think, what hole is that? The par three at Riviera was at number four with like the big, it's really long. It's like 230 yards, big bunker in the front. It looks exactly like that, like kind of ridiculous how much it looks exactly like that. And then, Oh, I'm bringing it up right now. Sorry, I'm pausing. There's a couple. There's a couple. Yeah, so the fourth at Riviera, it has almost identical. The fifth at Pebble Beach, there's the 11th hole. The concession is just like that. The postage stamp at Troon, the 14th looks exactly like that. There's a hole modeled kind of after um, a Mirafield Village hole. 10 at Riviera, there's another one. There's the 12th at concessions, kind of like the same thing. The third at Bay Hill, the par the par four that's like a dog leg left 90 degree that has water on the left-hand side after the par three at Bay Hill, the 16th is just like that. So that's kind of what this golf course is. It's molded after a lot of places, which that's where we're going to get the course comparisons here coming up in a second when we go over some guys. But actually, you know what? No, let's go over courses now. So there are multiple courses that concessions should play like just because characteristics and certain things. Augusta National and Mirfa Village are definitely one of them. Undulating greens, tightly mown areas around greens to make pitching and getting up and down very difficult. So that that kind of stuff, short game is going to be huge. Um, iron play is going to be huge just because of those kind of course comparisons. And the note about the greens is although the greens are Bermuda, which normally have grain, so reading greens becomes a little bit more difficult, right? So the putt... If a putt, if you guys aren't familiar with what grain is, if grain is running on a green from your ball to the hole, left to right, but the putt breaks right to left, that grain is going to make the ball not break as much as you think. And if the grain is going right to left and the putt's going right to left, the putt is going to break way more than you think it is. So that's what makes putting a little bit more difficult on Bermuda greens, but these greens are cut and rolled every single day, which then takes most of the grain out of the green. So they're going to play more like POA, more like bent grass where the guys are going to be worrying about more about the undulations when reading greens than the grain. So that's going to be a big thing to look at when we look at guys that putt well on POA and bent green, bent grass rather services. Weather for the week looks phenomenal. Thursday, 79 sunny. Friday, 81 sunny. Saturday, 84 sunny. Uh, Sunday, 85 sunny. Not a lot of chance, under 10% chance of rain all week. And then the wind's not going to be up. It barely gets over 10 miles an hour any of the days. So we're looking perfect weather. Key stats, I kind of already mentioned that, and that's going to be strokes gained approach. With the undulating greens, the ability to hit certain spots on the putting surface is going to be very, very crucial. You need pinpoint accuracy when the undulations are that severe. Like you see Augusta National, really good iron players win at Augusta National. This is going to be the kind of same, kind of the same thing. Finding greens of regulation is always important right? But lag putting is tough here. So getting proximity to hole is going to be important, right? We need to give ourselves makeable putts, not putts that are going to break five feet. And we need to get them in a comfy little area, three foot circle to tap in for par. So strokes gained approach is going to be huge. Iron play is going to be huge. And then short game, when we miss these greens, when they go in collection areas, we'll run off in bunkers, the bunker, the bunkers are very, very difficult here. You need to be able to get up and down when you miss greens. So short game is going to be Huge. Having a solid short game will be very, very important. Into the data golf information, course fit, they didn't have any. But I already kind of mentioned Mirfield, P 
PJ National, where they have the Honda, is another good one. Augusta National is another good one. Riviera is actually another good one. So those kind of golf courses are going to be targeted, right? If you play well at those golf courses, it's going to be targeted as well as like Florida golf. If you have good history playing Florida golf, that's going to be important too. Uh, trending of the players in the field, Dustin Johnson, his last three starts are a T11, a win and a T8. Tony Finau tied for second, solo second, solo second. And third is Patrick Cantlay with a second place finish, a T third and a T15 last week at the Genesis. Percent chance to win based on baseline, course history and fit, all that kind of stuff. John Rahm's actually number one at 9.8%, which I actually agree with. Dustin Johnson, 9.5%. And Xander Shoffley is number three at 6.2%. Some of the betting odds here, Dustin Johnson, as I mentioned already, is the favorite at plus 525. John Rahm is plus uh, 850. Xander Shoffley is plus 1100. Tony Finau is plus 1600. Roy McIlroy is all the way down at plus 1650. Bryson DeChambeau is plus 1850, as well as Justin Thomas in that spot. If you go down even further, Brooks Kepka is at plus 3000, which I think is a little ridiculous. Um... Call Morick Howe is at plus 4650, which is crazy. And then rounding off the players that I have highlighted, Tommy Fleetwood is plus 5500. So there's going to be some value. So betting this tournament, like I said, is already just going to be a little bit complicated. We don't have course history. We don't have a bunch of key stats like what fits here. We're going to have to really rely on current form, history at Florida golf, and like history at the golf courses that I've listed before, like Augusta National, Mirrorfield, and stuff like that. Also, with the smaller field, there's not a bunch of guys. It's a no-cut event. There's not going to be a cut come Friday. With a no-cut event, we need to be able to find value, right? And I just refreshed it. DraftKings actually just came out with top 30s, top 40s leader after round one and that kind of stuff. So I'll be able to give you guys that information also. But like I said, with a smaller field, once you go to top 30, you have to go all the way down to Kevin Kisner at plus 110 for plus money. Everybody inside that is minus money for a top 30. That's what makes it a little bit difficult. So we're going to see what we can find. But let's jump right into it with a with a nice little stat for you guys this week. There are 177 players with 20 plus rounds on the PGA Tour in Florida over the last five seasons. Only one guy is gaining two plus strokes T to green per round. And that man is Sung Jm, and that's where we're going to start. Since the beginning of 2021, he has three top 20 finishes and a T32 at the Farmers. His last start was a T17 down in the desert for the Waste Management. This season on tour, he's 19th in driving accuracy, 26th in greens and regulation, which I said iron play, gigantic, and he's a great iron player. In November, he finished tied for second at the Masters, like I said. Nice little finish out of course comparison. His finishes last year in Florida were a win at the Honda, another course that plays like concession, according to multiple sources and professionals or whatever you want to call experts, not professionals, experts, and a solo third at the Arnold Palmer. So he has really good recent history in Florida. And if you want to go back to 2019, he had a T3 at Bay Hill and a T4 at the Valspar in Tampa. So he really likes some, he, he likes himself some Florida golf. Maybe it's the warm temperatures. I don't know what it is, but he likes playing down there. And everything pretty much backs that up. And he's coming off a top 20 finish. And right now you can get him for plus 138 for a top 20, which I think is is pretty damn good to get those plus odds, especially with a guy with history in Florida. That's probably going to end up on the card on Wednesday, but we'll, we'll see what I think. And then as I was writing my notes for the show, I didn't even see his name up until after I covered Sungjae when I was going down the board a little bit. Max is back. I don't know if he was originally in the field. I don't know because of his improved world golf ranking, he was able to get into this field, but he's back. I didn't think he was going to play this week, especially with him. He's going to Bay Hill um, two weeks from now. 
which he also has pretty good history at Bay Hill, but I don't think he was originally in the field, but he's going back on the card because he's the only guy that's been winning us money on a consistent basis, and he's our fucking guy coming off a win at the Genesis. So he's back on the card. He's plus 150 right now for a top 20. Florida finishes include in 2020, he had a uh, top 25 at the Arnold Palmer, and in 2019, he had a top 20 at the Honda. So he showed some form. He's coming off a round and pretty much a week where he put, and I'm going to quote myself, what I said earlier in the show, a ball striking fiesta. He's hitting the shit of his irons, especially recently over the weekend at the Genesis T21 strokes gained approach uh, last week at the Genesis. And he was uh, second in strokes gained off the tee. So his tee to green number is crazy good. And even though these are Bermuda greens, they roll more like POA. So could we see another week where he gets hot on the greens because he feels a little bit more comfortable with the putter? And he kind of feels like, I don't want to say got a chip off his shoulder with finally winning after consistent play, but he might kind of, I don't want to say settle down either. Like, I don't think he's the guy that gets a win and then he kind of puts on the brakes. I think Max has the potential and the talent to be a top 20, top 10 golfer in the world for a really long time. I think... Now that he gets a win, I think he probably puts the he puts the fucking gas on now. I think he's going to carry over a lot. So I think he's going to be back on the card because he's our fucking guy, first of all. And he's been the only guy that winning us money. I think this is a good spot for him. Plus 150 for a top 20. I think that's great value for a guy coming off a win. So we'll see. And then the next guy is a guy we haven't talked about in a while because he hasn't made a start in the PGA Tour yet this season, and that's Tommy Fleetwood. And he's still searching for his first PGA Tour win, which feels ridiculous because he's one of the best players in the world. He hasn't made a start stateside this year, but he has made four on the European Tour since the Masters. In the order, here are his finishes on the Euro Tour, T10, T7, T17, and a T26. Since 2018, he has six starts in Florida. Finish include a T4 at the Honda, that was in 2018, in 2018, he finished T26 at the Arnold Palmer, T3 at the Arnold Palmer in 2019 when Rory won, T5 at the Players in 2019, T3 at the Honda in 2020. So he has really good, actually, now that I think about it, I don't, he didn't win the Arnold Palmer in 2019, Rory. He won in 2018, I think, but regardless. T3 at the Honda in 2020 last year, which is my biggest thing because concession is alike with PGA National. So that's huge. He's plus 150 for a top 20 also. He's also one of the best ball strikers on the planet. He's going to need to get the putter going. But I think, and he plays well usually in bigger fields. His name has popped up a couple times down in Mexico. I know this is not the same golf course, but it's technically the same tournament, WGC. I think this is a good spot for Tommy to come in the top 10 and maybe kind of make a run at his first PGA Tour win. I think this is a good spot for him. So we're going to keep an eye on uh, Tommy Fleetwood, especially for the betting card that comes out Wednesday. And we got to talk about our guy. Well, there's a couple of guys after this, but Rory, can he bounce back in this spot, right? He played like shit last week, and there's no really getting around it. But on Instagram, Luke Donald posted on IG about Rory on Sunday, Saturday. He was already back at the Bears Club, already dry, um, grinding on the driving range excuse me, putting in work, hitting three woods. I forget the little thing that he has behind him. It's a couple, it's like a lineman sticks lined up in like an angle, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He was grinding already bouncing. He was trying to bounce back and he has bounced back in this spot before in 2018. He missed the cut at the Valspar in Tampa. And then the next week he won the Arnold Palmer. In 2019, he missed the cut at the Memorial. And then the very next week won the RBC Canadian open by seven shots. 
and he has good history in Florida. He has multiple top tens at the Arnold Palmer. He's the defending champion at the players. He's played eh, at the Honda, but he likes Florida. He's obviously a Florida resident. I don't. He, does he live in Jupiter still? I'm not really sure. I think he can bounce back in this spot. I don't know if I'm going to bet him to win. He's obviously minus money for a top 20, but maybe if you like him enough to bounce back in this spot, let me bring it up real quick. He is a plus 188 for a top 10. So I don't know if I'm going to touch that for the card. I think he can bounce back in this spot. I'd feel a little bit more comfortable if I could get a week where I'm able to see him in his iron play. Like if he plays well this week at the WGC and then he returns the week after to a tournament that he's won at with multiple top 10s and that's an Arnold Palmer, the API might be a good spot to kind of target him to win that after a week if he can put it together this week a little bit. But I'm not sure if he'll be on the card, but we had to talk about my guy, especially after a week where he just played like shit. Um, Bryson DeChambeau. You guys know that I'm not his biggest fan, but it's impossible to look past the fact that he has won at this golf tournament. Uh, not golf tournament, sorry, at this venue. He won a college event here back in 2015, so he has some familiarity with the venue. And that's in a field where no one really does. That's I think that might be huge. He missed the weekend last weekend in LA, which obviously I didn't hate. He had back-to-back high finishes on tour before that. His game T to green is obviously insane, and he comes with some value. He's plus 1850 to win, which is crazy, which is crazy value for a guy like that. He's plus 200 for a top 10, um, obviously minus money. He's only minus 120 for a top 20. That might be something we have to look to just because of his history at this golf course. And you can kind of put a miscup aside, aside from at Riviera. So who knows if he can bounce back again, he gets a little bit streaky, but we'll see with Bryson. Obviously, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but he's one. So it's hard to, it's hard to not mention that on the show. Uh, a guy that actually lost us money last week is Colin Morikawa. This year on Tory's third in strokes gained approach, six tee to green, and tied for 24th in proximity, which, again, is going to be huge at concession. Last season, he did have a top 10 in Florida. He was T9 at the Arnold Palmer, and he has a win at Muirfield Village, which, again, is another course comparison that a lot of guys have to concession. He won the workday, which is kind of funny. He won the workday over uh, Justin Thomas. And I think that was actually in a playoff. So who knows? Maybe Colin goes out and wins another workday tournament, but he has his stats are insane this year. He's a fantastic iron player. And if he can put it together, he's plus 138 for a top 20. I think I might have to pounce on that just because of his quality of iron play. Uh, and he has good course history compare, good course comparison history is how you want to phrase that. But yeah, I think he could have a good week. So plus money for a top 20 with a guy like that, with a ball striker like that, hard to ignore. And then one guy that we're going to seriously look into this week is going to be Victor Hovland. Last week's stats, he was seventh in, st- in strokes gained T to green, and then he was first in scrambling. His, his short game last week was crazy good. And this week, that was one of the things that I mentioned was you need to be able to get up and down at concession, and he's doing that well right now. His last four starts in the PGA Tour include a win at Mayakoba, a T second, and a T five. Last week at the Genesis, that tied for second was at the Farmers. Another golf course iron play is huge. Genesis iron play is huge. So if he can carry that over, I think he can have a great week. He was solo third last year at the Workday, which was at Mirfield Village, a tournament that Morikawa won. So again, 
good history at a course comparison that I have. He's minus money for a top 20, so you're going to have to roll the dice and get him for a top 10, but you can get him at plus 250 for a top 10 if you want to take that. I may take that. I think Hovland is in for a really good week, especially with the good recent play and his the stats that he's doing well now fit concession very, very well. So I think Hovland could be in for a very big week. But that's it, guys. That's all I have for that top 40. Like I said, if I'm going to touch any top 40s, borderline no one is plus money for a top 40. So you're not going to see one of those from me this week. Like I said, you got to go all the way down to Kiz for a top 30. And then top 20, there is some value, right? So like Jason Day is plus 150 for a top 20, who's coming off a good start at Pebble. Um, Tommy Fleetwood, I mentioned already, plus 150. Jason Kokrak is coming off a pretty solid week at the Genesis. He's plus 150. Um, I didn't see Jordan Spieth on here. I don't know if Spieth's playing this week. I I haven't seen his name. And he might not actually because his world ranking is like super low right now. So he might not even be invited to this event. So we'll see. But yeah, that's it. That's it for the show, guys. That's it for the show this week. Make sure to pay attention to twilight9.com on Wednesday early, not mid-morning probably, for the betting article. The T9 card also comes out later that day on the Instagram and on the website and all that kind of stuff. Follow the Instagram, the show's Instagram, at twilight9pod. We're going to obviously post a bunch of stuff on there, show highlights. We're going to start posting pictures once the weather gets a little bit better and we get to travel a little bit. And then follow my personal Instagram at RileyHamill underscore if you want to follow me. Again, send any questions and all that kind of stuff. Whatever you guys are thinking for the week, whatever you guys are thinking for the tournament, let me know. If you have picks, I'll post them on the page. But yeah, guys, that's it for the show. Follow all the Instagram, and I will talk to you guys next week to recap the concession, the WGC workday, whatever they call it, and then preview the Arnold Palmer, one of my favorite tournaments of the year. So I'm looking forward to next week's show. Share the show around with family and friends, anybody in your life that loves golf. Send them the show. Have them listen. Let's get back on track. Let's win some money this week at the WGC. Let's put LA behind us. Let's win some money. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.